You are now listening to the Extra Point Podcast with Larry Mallory and Scott Farber. I'm Scott. He's our NFL Players Association president for the Dallas-Fort Worth chapter, host of the Extra Point, starring Larry Mallory on this network, co-host with me on the podcast, Charlene Mallory Turner's baby boy, and my buddy, he, of course, is Larry Mallory. Hey, man, how are you? Well, it's good to see you, man. However I see you, it's good to see you. Well, you know, and that, that's right. This is how we that's look at right. each other now, you know, kind of in right. jacket motion on Zoom here. Um, later in the program, we're going to be having a uh, um, certified uh, retirement coach joining us. And, and uh, it's not about finances, it's about everything else and getting up out of bed in the morning and uh, uh, having a productive day. Sue Mintz will be joining us. And uh, that's going to be uh, uh, quite interesting because you and I have been talking ever since we knew Sue was coming on about all the things that we could use, you know, a little help on yeah. to get motivated for the day and what's going to yeah. be, you know, you know, as we get older, Larry, we got to still be relevant. You know what I mean? <laughs> I totally agree with you. I totally yeah. agree. But we have to make yeah. ourselves relevant. So yeah. I think we, you and I can do it. That's right. Nobody, nobody cares about how great we were in the past. No, you know, they don't. <laughs> how are you freaking along today? That's what they want to know. Anyway, yeah. that's a little bit later in the show. COVID, you know, in a serious matter. Northwestern and Minnesota foot, college football teams are canceling their games uh, this coming Saturday, um, Saturday uh, after we've taped this podcast. 47 people connected with the Minnesota football team tested positive for the virus. Is college football going to make it to the end? Is pro football going to make it to the end? You know, the, the, end, I mean the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's just been, you know, games are being pushed. Now we even have Tuesday night games and Wednesday night games. It, it seems as though uh, some teams are functioning better than other teams. So you would think, Scott, that, uh, you know, if some teams are functioning better, then you would take their example and try to use it with your team. I think that, that, that each individual team the coaching staff, the, the leaders in the organization, the athletic directors in the college, all of them are, are different and they seem to be all aligned to whatever their personal beliefs are and not what the universal beliefs are or the scientific beliefs are. If you, you have a college, imagine having your child in a, an athletic college setting with a scholarship and all of a sudden you have that many people to come down with the virus. Something is not being, to me, something is not being cared for properly. And well, you know, it, it, in the uh, last podcast, we had the college kids on talking about yeah. COVID. And you had asked the question, are the athletes having a problem with COVID? It seems that the athletes, it's rampant now. You know, uh, yeah. um, you know, they're on the campus like anybody else. You know, they can't, they can't hide from everybody. And um, I don't know what the colleges are doing or can really do. You're talking about, you know, 50,000 people on a lot of campuses, 30,000, 20,000, talking about a lot of people in a confined area. And especially 
football players. Think of the contact they all have with each other. Exactly, and the, and the heavy breathing, right. you know, and the and the uh, sweating, and just the the general the things that we do together in a, in, a, in an athletic environment. But but I guess the other question though is, how did basketball manage it? And that's what I really don't know. Well, they, they managed. Here, here's the difference though. Basketball, they put them in a bubble. Uh, uh-huh. Maybe you know, if we talk about the NFL, we could we could talk about that. But for college, you're talking about how many tens of thousands of people are playing college football, you know? And, and it's interesting to me, I just thought of this because I always have, have thought of this. In the era of AIDS, you know, the bleeding and, and the blood, you know, uh, 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 can be a way to cause AIDS to be transmitted. And I just always thought of the football players. What lineman isn't bleeding and cut up on, on his arms after the first play? That's right. You, That's you right. know what I mean? So these uh, unfortunate viruses that are transmittable that are out there, in contact sport, it's hard to be safe. It definitely is, Scott. Last night's game, they had a one of the plays, a defensive lineman, uh, had a technique and he pushed the offensive lineman's helmet completely off. Right, right. And you should have seen his face just with, because the play was still going. His helmet is off, but you could see the tension in his face just not having that helmet on. Right. You know, obviously thinking that that helmet is some degree of protection. Sure. But when he didn't have it on and everybody around him was still, they were still tackling and still, oh, he looked like he was just in bad shape and they took him off the field after. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, yeah, you're 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 right. But the contact can't be avoided, and you know. Mm-hmm. And then I have another question too, and and I don't know the answer. And the game last night you were referring to, of course, was the uh, uh, Seattle Philadelphia Eagles game. Just for a point of reference for everybody, from when we're doing the show, um, I noticed Lamar Jackson, a star quarterback, last year's MVP, uh, the Baltimore Ravens. Are, we're supposed to play on Thanksgiving Day, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the only undefeated team left uh, this season so far at 10-0. Because of COVID to Lamar Jackson, they moved the game from Thursday to Sunday. Then they moved it to, to uh, Tuesday. Then they moved it to Wednesday. And I think if they moved it to Thursday now, you know, further out, I'm not sure if it's Wednesday or Thursday now. But my point is the, the Denver Broncos three quarterbacks, one came down with COVID, I think the starting quarterback, and the other two, because of the contact with him, all three are in quarantine. But they had a play Sunday. Yeah. Was it, did Lamar Jackson have anything to do with it? Not not him personally, but because of him? I, I mean, I, I don't understand. Was there a reason why Baltimore, Pittsburgh got moved and why Denver had to go through and use a... a guy off the practice squad that's a wide receiver to be their quarterback, who is one of nine, by the way, with two interceptions. You know, um, that is such a, I think that was such a unique example of what we're all going through in this country. Right. In other words, each team, according to its owner, has a certain strategy, just like each state, according to its governor or its 
now it's even going down to the cities because the cities are doing, you know, more control, PPE controls and, you know, local controls and we're statewide controls. So I, I, I see it as the same as, you know, what's happening across our country in that according to whoever owns that team, according to however he wants to, and unfortunately, I think fiscally look at how things are going, that's how they're making decisions because some teams don't have it like Denver has it, but then some teams do. So to me, it's, it's, it's the ownership's decision on the safety of their employees. Right. And, and I, don't, I don't get the feeling that each team has a universal approach to it, just as we don't have a united approach to it. What do, what do you think when you look up at some of these games, you know, they say, oh, there's only 25,000 people here. And I look at those stands and you see clusters of people all together. Okay, the stadium holds 80,000, but there's still, and there's only 25,000 there, but they're all together. Are you thinking that that's safe? You know, am I, am I misreading it? That they have them all separated, but it looks like it's just clusters of human bodies there. No, I, I'm not, but I think it also, uh, Scott, aligns to what we were just talking about, because in some of the games, there's nobody in the stands or not many at all. Right. But then right. in some of the games, just like you said, they're, they're saying that they're practicing social distancing, but they're, you can see groups, combined groups in those stands when they you know, pan, uh, pan the cameras through. So, you know, again, it's the ownership, it's the leadership and what decisions they make not only for their players, but for their coaches and their fans. You know, there was one college game, and I forget who it was, and, and I'll probably, it might have been Clemson, but I, I could be wrong. <clears throat> but they did it, I thought, the right way. You saw two people together, big space, two more people, a couple of rows skip, two people. I mean, they just, you know, or, there might have been three together because three people came together. But you could see... It, they weren't ever clustered together. There were rows of people spread apart and distanced by rows. And I thought, okay, they're doing it right. And they had to meticulously do that. You know, but some of these, I look in the stadiums, okay, there's 25,000 people and they're not all together, but there's groups of people together. You know, yeah. and I just, I just wonder, you know, uh, uh, what's right, what's wrong, you know, uh, um, I saw a few, one of the cameras panned through and they, there was even little kids, children there with no mask on. Oh, I know. It's just, it's, it's scary. It really is. You know, Larry, yes. I go back to uh, um, when you and I were at Tennessee State a couple of years ago, or maybe a year ago, and we're mm -hmm. walking around uh, the, uh, the old stadium that you played in. All right. And, um, well, I didn't mean that badly. That's just where you play. <laughs> they have a new one now. That's true. You, you know, um, so we're, we're there. And I remember you kind of said it to yourself, not really to me. And I thought it was great to go, you know, because they were always sold out. It was always mobbed. And you said, kind of said to yourself, my mom used to sit right there and I could hear yeah. her calling my name. Yeah. What do you think it's like for these guys to walk into that stadium where there's no one? Is it the, is the adrenaline there to play? Is it the same? Or is it like, 
okay, we're going to have a nice little practice game. Yeah. You know, um, I'm not sure that the ownership or the fans realized how, how much of an important part they played in sports right. until now. And now that they're not in the stands, when, when all of this first started, they didn't really know how to deal with it. There was nobody in the stands. Right. There was no noise. Then they immediately went to viral uh, people in the stands, so at least they could hear. Then they immediately went to clapping. So the, the, the motivation, the support that you get as a home team or an away team, but that, that is such an important part of the overall feel of the game. Right. I think that is what promotes television. That's what promotes radio. That, that's what makes people go to their to their phones and look at it because they can they can hear and they can feel the enthusiasm and and reflect that to the effort that the guys are putting on the field. Yeah, but they're know, not being there. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I'm sorry. No, I was going to say I, I cut you off, but the viewers, I think you still feel like you're watching a real game, and whoever is sitting in the booth with the different crowd noise uh, machine, they're getting it right. They got the booing, <laughs> you know, and so at home, you really kind of lose the thought that the fans aren't there. You know, it was interesting the other day when the Bears just barely lost to Green Bay. Uh, <laughs> don't even go there. But anyway, <laughs> they had 500 fans and they don't even think they had a full 500. They said Green Bay is experimenting, trying to figure out how to do this to bring fans in safely. And all I could think of were in uh, the 11th game out of 16, and then of course the playoffs. And I'm going, that they're not thinking that for this year. Are they planning on this being more of the same next year, do you think? I mean, how could Green Bay, with the season almost over, they're now trying to figure out the best way to bring in fans and they're doing it with 500 people at a time test. They're thinking about yeah. next year. Yeah, I, I would think so. I mean, you know, with the type of investment that the teams have and, and players and everything else, I would think that, you know, there would be someone uh, looking out or planning for next year, especially if this continues. Right. Um, I really can't see them. I can't see the season looking the same if we have to go into a new season under these conditions. They would have had the time to analyze all the different perspectives and decide on which one works best for their teams. Right. So, you know, I, I think if we get into the new year and we still have it, we might be able to deal with it better than we're even dealing with it now. All right, we're <laughs> gonna take a break and we're gonna be right back with our guest, Sue Mintz, a certified retirement transition coach. Be right back. All right, Larry, you and I have talked many times about transitioning uh, players out of the NFL into everyday life. And we know it's not an easy situation for them. Big you know, we've had, we've had Javier Collins, you know, former Dallas Cowboy, do a couple of shows for us uh, that he liked to call What's Next on the, the transitioning for players. Uh, but all of us eventually have to retire. And too often the concern, and maybe not too often, but, you know, the main first concern we all think of is money. How are we going to do this? But there's a lot more to retirement, you know, in everyday life and relationships and then just the money. And that's where our guest Sue Mintz uh, joins us today. Sue's career has spanned several decades with AT&T, 
in the Baylor healthcare system in leadership training and uh, uh, career coaching. Sue has spent a career already making us better executives, better employees, and better with work, people working with uh, clients. And as Sue reached her retirement, she said, you know, I'm really not done yet. I want to continue to work with people. Is that kind of right, Sue? Perfect. And, exactly. and you became a certified retirement transition coach. Correct. Tell us what that is. Okay. So what that is, Scott, that is I help people transition from their career into retirement. Now, people might think, well, I know what I'm going to do in retirement. I've thought about it all my life. And a lot of people do very well in that transition. Other people believe that the important thing to transition is to have money in the bank. And money in the bank is paramount. It helps you sleep at night, but it doesn't get you out of bed in the morning. And it really doesn't give you purpose and a healthy lifestyle that is so important um, when, when each of us retires. So what I do is I help people really plan for the non-financial side of retirement rather than the financial side side of retirement. I'm not a financial advisor. Well, you know, you, you talk about getting out of bed in the morning, being motivated and whatnot. Are there like key points that you work with people at? And I mean, when they come to you, do they already know what's wrong? Or do they find out they're missing certain things, you know, when they talk to you? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a testament to that. I think when I retired, one of the things that I realized that I needed was structure. And that's something that we have when we work. I mean, there's so many things. We have an identity. We have structure. We have purpose. We have social network at work. We have ongoing learning. And when we retire, those things collapse. And I think that a lot of times people that are working, when they plan to retire, they really don't think about what's going to collapse. And how are they going to replace those things once they retire. We go on a retirement honeymoon, we have a great time maybe for 30, 60, 90 days, maybe a year. But then sometimes we wake up and we think, wow, now what? So what, what do you tell them? What is now what? It's different for everyone. It's really, one of the things that I get asked all the time is, well, I need a new purpose. Who am I going to become? What's going to be my identity? And it's really not about what you do. It's really about who you get to become when you're retired. And, and that, is an, that is something in retirement that we don't always think about as we're working. And so it's, it's an individualized process where we go through different, what we call retirement success factors. And we say, okay, for instance, health. Here's where I am today, but where do I want to be when I retire? What I, where, where do I want to be after I retire? And we understand what the gaps are between where they are today in certain what we call retirement success factors and then where they want to be once they retire. You know, Larry um, yeah. is the president of the NFL's Players Association here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And so often at his meetings or just Larry and I discussing on podcasts, the football players and retiring, 
And we have, even if they have a long career, which in the NFL is hard to have, there's still men in their early 30s usually when they retire. And many now today, because of the money involved, they retire earlier. Sure. And, and Larry could tell you they have a tough time transitioning. So is it different when you approach young people that are used to, you know, Larry, I, I don't want to use the wrong word, but being on a pedestal and now they have to yeah. blend into society. Uh, are they harder to coach maybe than, you know, somebody that, you know, retired in their later sixties? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think that, like you said, on a pedestal and they, they have had their identity, they've had their purpose. And then all of a sudden they wake up one morning and they go, again, now what? So I think that it's something that is more difficult. I, I definitely think that it's more difficult for younger employees, players, as you will, um, than it is for older. And, um, and, and those folks that have actually planned for retirement at a certain age. I mean, right now there's no expiration date for retirement. You know, we used to think, well, you have to be 65 and then you get to retire. Well, that's not the case anymore. And I think now that there's a lot more opportunities for people to, like we talked about earlier, they've been on stage for, for many, many years. Well, there's a new stage that they can go on. And, and what I do is I, I try to help them prepare for, okay, what is that next quote stage that um, they will go on? Now, do people come to you, you know, in a kind of a state of depression, feeling lost, and what do I do, and what is it, what does it all mean? You know, uh, how do they come to you at first? I imagine it's very different stages of uh, mental health, too. Right. I mean, I, we talk about it in retirement. You not only need to be financially fit, you need to stay physically fit, emotionally fit, mentally fit, spiritually fit. And we talk about all those different levels of fitness and, and how they will fulfill those different stages when they retire. Um, it, like I said, it's a, it's a different process for different individuals. And what I like to do is, is really find out from them. We have assessments that we go through and what we wanna minimize is that depression. And, and that going through the honeymoon phase and then all of a sudden waking up and going, now what? I actually have, an, I have a friend that's a really, a very good friend that's a nurse. And she tells me that when patients retire, there's a lot more um, visits to the doctor's office and sometimes to the hospitals. And sometimes it's a physical reason. And other times, like you said, it's an emotional or Sometimes they go through some sort of a, a depression. And, and that's not unusual. That's not unusual. And so, so what, what my goal is, is to minimize, is to, you know, mitigate that. Right, right. And Scott, another factor that I think is really important is to bring in family members. We have something new. It's called a, a new trend is holistic retirement planning. Where I just don't only recommend that the individual has a plan for retirement, but they bring in their entire family. You know, we talk about um, marriages and 
husbands and wives that retire at the same time. And there's an old saying, it's like, we married for better, for worse, but not for lunch. So I think it's really important to bring in not only maybe the, the spouse or the significant other, but also other members of the family, because there's going to be times when caregiving is going to come up where, you know, that's going to be something that one may need to partner with their spouse or significant other when it comes to maybe caring for an, a, a parent. Um, there's going to be financial responsibility. Things are going to change. Dynamics will change in the home when we retire. So I think that it's really important to talk about expectations, what's going to change, what's going to stay the same, and how are we going to work together to um, bring about this new lifestyle that we've been talking about for years. How are we going to make it successful for the entire family? So now for you personally, what made you decide that you're going to get into this? I like, I, like you said, I've always been a career coach and in leadership development, and I loved working with people and helping people transition either to a new job or a new phase in life. And I read about this retirement coaching business when I was in New York, I read about, actually my husband brought it to my attention. He said, look at this. This, is, this guy was on Wall Street. He was a CEO. He was a top executive. He did well. He had his quote retirement honeymoon for about six months. And then all of a sudden one morning he woke up and he said, now what? And he hired a retirement coach. And I right. thought, wow, that's really cool. So well, Larry, have you, have you ever heard of retirement coaches, Larry? <laughs> no, I haven't actually. And, and in fact, um, you know, it's just so interesting hearing uh, Sue's perspective. And for me, I'd like to know what the physical, how does the physical, uh, what does the physical impact have on the mental side of things? In, in other words, you know, if you get someone back, uh, you know, they retired and they're not working out or whatever, how much impact does that have on the mental side of your life? It has, it has a lot to do on, on it, Larry. It really does. I mean, like my conversation with my friend that's a nurse, I mean, she said, if we don't stay mentally fit, physically fit, emotionally fit, financially fit, I mean, we tend to, it's like a deck of cards. We, we tend to crumble, you know, yeah. and um, it, it's just not always being financially fit that will I guess, bring us into a successful retirement. We need to look at a lot of these other factors that keep us, quote, fit. Sue, are people, are people um, embarrassed? You, you know, when they come to your office at first, do they think they did something wrong because they have to be there? Or do they understand that this is just something that's helpful for them in their lives? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I don't think that they're embarrassed. I think what they, they kind of wake up. And they think, wow, I never really thought about planning for the non-financial side of retirement. I always knew that it was important to plan for the financial side, but never for the non-financial side. And, and some people, like I said before, some people have a, have a wonderful plan for retirement, and they know exactly what they're going to do, and it, and it flows beautifully. For Tell us, us, how do people reach you? Pardon me? How do, how do we reach you? You can take a look at my website, www.retirementhood.com, or reach me at Sue Mintz, 
at retirementhood.com. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Scott, for having us. Nice so to I, meet you, Larry. Good luck. It's very nice to meet you, Sue, and I, I really believe that, that you add a lot of value to a lot of my membership, which are retired NFL players, and we would definitely like to give you access to all the other retired players in the DFW. Mexico. I would be pleased to do anything I can to help. Thank you so much. So, Larry, our guest today, I, I think it's uh, important stuff for the uh, for the players, you know, because uh, uh, retirement, they're, they're retiring young and they probably need some coaching. Listen, uh, GBCTV.net has always chosen the right people to come on to support the NFL Players Association, the NBA Players Association, and everybody retired. So I, I totally agree for you to have someone on there that can help all the guys that are looking at our show especially in their retirement days, is absolutely fantastic. Thanks so much for watching. Please make sure you like and subscribe right here to our YouTube channel. And if you enjoyed, please share with your friends. And if you want to see our collection of hundreds of stories told by the people who live them, please head on over to gbctv.net. Thanks so much.